It's hard to believe that my wife, Lindsay, and I, we've been married for 20 years this, this year. Uh, we started dating in 1999. That was a long time ago. My kids like to remind me that was in a different century. And so it was a long time ago when we started dating. Now, you would think after 25 years of being together, the two of us would have some fantastic relationship advice. You would hope. And people come to us, my good buddy Perry and his, and his uh, wonderful girlfriend, Michaela. Occasionally, Perry might come up and say, hey, I got a thing going on with our relationship. What do you think about this? Or my son or one of our teenagers or I work with Boy Scouts. Talk to and you would think you could go to a guy who's been married uh, for 20 years, been with the same woman for almost 25 years. You would think that I would have some great advice. Let me tell you something. I hardly have anything. I got nothing. Here's what I've learned. Here's what I've learned. I've learned there's two, there's two categories of what you can do, okay? There are some things that are, uh, that are good ideas, and then there are some things that are bad ideas. That's, and here's the thing. It sometimes takes 25 years to figure out the difference. And, and the, the cool thing is this. Once you like do it long enough, you make enough bad decisions and do enough of the wrong things, and there's a wrong way to do it, and you're like, that's the wrong way. You learn not to do that again, and then you get better at the right way. Here's the thing. This is true in all of our relationships. There is a, a right way to approach people. There is a wrong way to approach people. You've had a neighbor who approached you the wrong way, and you were like, I hate that guy. And probably they're a really great guy. But you just got approached the wrong way, so it totally changed the way that you saw the, the people that you work with, the people that you encounter at the gas station, the grocery store. And we spend our whole life kind of working this thing out, understanding how to find the right way to approach people and understanding how to find the wrong way to approach people. We start out pretty bad at it. We get better. And I can tell you that we're pretty universally bad at it. I, I was a youth minister for 10 years, worked with teenagers. I've worked at this, this summer camp since 2003, 20 years at that too. I do a lot of things with young people, with teenagers. And I have learned that we are all pretty bad at it when we're younger. Guys, uh, when we're trying to approach a young lady, what's our first method? Like very first one. Like push them down in the playground, pull their hair, kick them, call them names. We're like this will work. This will be fine. Girls, I can't speak from experience with you guys, but I've watched. There's a lot of giggling. There's a lot of whispering to each other. When you're little, like that's how, that's how it works out. And it's almost universal. I'm leaving for camp today to go be with almost 120 high school students. And I can't quite explain what happens in the, the girls' dorm. It's, it's a mystery to me. But if you've ever seen a group of high school students, boys, try to understand how to approach a group of high school girls it's like watching a bizarre nature documentary. It's just like, what are they going to do next? And it's just like so, they're working it out, and there's so much Axe body spray. Like, they could all just spray one time, whole dorm's good. Nope, they're all spraying way too many times. And then there's like this mystery that like, you know, you should take a shower first, then Axe body spray. But it's more like no shower, just Axe body spray. It's disgusting. Uh, but here's, the, here's the mystery. Somehow, sometimes... It works. Like by Friday this week, there's going to be some young couple who is holding hands at campfire, planning their wedding. They're picking out china patterns. They got it all fixed. Now, we all know they're going to be broken up by next Thursday. But something worked. They figured out how to approach one another and create some sort of friendship there. Uh, <laughs> I say all that just to be stupid and, and to make fun of us. But the truth is, when it comes to approaching God, I think we have some of the same problems. We can be kind of awkward. We don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to feel. We don't know when he's talking back to us. Am I the only one? Yeah. Like, how do I approach God? And so, like, if I was going to 
name the sermon today. I don't do like names of sermons. It's on our podcast, but normally I name it after I preach it. Like, that'd be a good name. But if I were to like put a name on this lesson that we're going to get from Jesus today, it might be, how should I approach God? How should I approach God? Because that's a good question. How should I approach God? We're going to be in our Bible today uh, continuing in a series that we've called Salt and Light. And so if you've got a Bible today, grab it, open it up. We'll be in Matthew chapter 6 today. We've been riding out in Matthew chapter 5 for like a month. We're in Matthew chapter 6 now. If you need a Bible, we've got them on a the shelf over here. Grab one, look it up on your phone. I'll have it on the screen behind me. But Jesus is going to kind of go, uh, just to catch you up in case you don't remember or you don't know, this series, Salt and Light, is a series through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This is like this opus lesson that Jesus does in Matthew 5, 6, and seven. Matthew is one of the biographies of the life of Jesus. It's in the New Testament of our Bibles, so near that last third of your Bible. And uh, he's going through some of like his basic teachings. And so we're spending the entire summer just going through the Sermon on the Mount. We finally land in chapter six. And in chapter five, he actually spends a lot of time, if you go back and kind of review it, he talks a lot about how we should approach one another. We talk about hate, we talk about uh, marriage and romance and things like that. We talk about all these different uh, lies I think was in there. There's a lot, a lot of things how we approach each other in chapter 5. But he kicks off chapter 6 at what I perceive as him saying, maybe this is how you should approach me. And, and I, I love it because much like watching a group of high schoolers at high school camp, um, like if I had to describe some high school boys trying to get the attention of a girl, have you ever seen a peacock like with his feathers up and like strutting around. Like that's kind of what it is. And here's the thing. There are these people in Matthew chapter 6 who are kind of spiritually peacocking. They're showing off. They put it on a big display. And Jesus is going to a little bit call them out. But more importantly, he's going to teach us the right way. How should I approach God? Let's dig in. Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 1. We're in chapter 6 now, guys. And he's going to give us three uh, categories of ways to approach God. And we're going to kick off here. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. That sentence is everything. That sentence sets up the whole rest of his teaching here. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen for the purpose of being seen by them. For if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. As Jesus has been teaching here, uh, not only has he given his, father, his followers a standard to live by, like Chapter 5 might be seen as like, here's the standard. You have heard it said, you guys remember this? You have heard it said this, but I say this. And every time, Jesus is going to raise the bar. So he's showing us as followers, how do we follow him? This, what's the standard? We want to always raise the bar, shoot for higher. Not only that, but now he's going to give us a commentary on some of the ways that some of the other people have been following God in, in that culture at that time. This is first century. This is Jewish culture, but I think a lot of it could be applied to us as well. And one of the priorities that these people would have, particularly the religious leaders in their, their towns, was that they really wanted to be seen worshiping. I mean, they had these like prayer tassels and these prayer boxes and they would make them long and huge or they would stand out in the streets and they would just pray and babble and go on and on or they would give offerings. They would put big old amount, hey, look at me and they would do all this stuff. They would sing their songs extra loud because they wanted people to know like, hey, I'm super spiritual. I'm your leader and do like me. But they were missing something in here. The heart wasn't there. They were doing it to be seen by others. And one way they would do this, there's going to be three categories. Jesus is going to give us kind of like a, three areas of how to approach God. The first way is in how they gave their money to help people in need. 
See, at that time, poor people, impoverished people, I mean, there was no social welfare system. There's not a bunch of nonprofits helping people out. Nobody doing homeless ministry. It's just, you're just literally reliant on people being willing to give you stuff. And so you've got the alms people, you know, shaking a cup or sitting on the corner. Or maybe doing the odd jobs to make a few bucks every now and then. And the attitude of these religious people was the same. They did it to be seen. So let's look at what Jesus said. He calls them out. You spiritual peacocks, verse 2. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. I love thinking about this literally. I don't know if it really was true. Can you imagine like some dude with a trumpet (laughs) or like a couple trumpeteers? Here's five bucks, man. (laughs) <laughs> you like walk away. Like th- but he's like, listen, these people, these hypocrites, their hearts are in the wrong place. But then he gives us the first how-to lesson, verse 3. So when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be done in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. If you're doing it for attention, you've already gotten your reward. If what you wanted was attention, fine. People saw you. They heard your trumpets. They heard you boasting. But if you really want to be rewarded, this is an interesting concept. A couple things jump out to me. First of all is this. We're talking about approaching God, and I think it's very interesting that Jesus kicks off with money. We as the church, we get uncomfortable. We get antsy in our seat talking about money. It's so personal. The church, like, I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush, but like a lot of churches, church families are like, not very healthy in how they talk about money. It's like a big guilt trip all the time. People check in on you like, oh, yeah, you could have given a little bit more. I know what your job is. You could have given more. Like, and we're not the church that does that. I think you know that by now. We're constantly like, if we want to talk about money, we're talking about it a healthy way. We're a family. We've got to talk about our money. But it's interesting that when Jesus talks about approaching God, the first thing he brings up is money. Why do you think that is? I think it's because our, like, uh, security blanket be honest with yourself, is can I pay my bills? Do I have the stuff that I want? That's, that's what, when you say life is good, what do you mean? When you say I'm blessed, what do you mean? When you look at someone else's life and you're like, man, they got it good, what do you mean? And often what we mean is they got money, they got stuff, they got resources. And I think that Jesus knows here that if there's anything we're going to make an idol above God, it's going to be our stuff. Like, yeah, sure, we, you might struggle with other things, but it kicks off with this. So he's going to give us this how-to lesson, and so I, I kind of tried to pick, there's three of them in this little passage, and I tried to make a phrase that's memorable. I've said, let's be a note-taking church. Let's be a Bible-reading church. So if you're a note-taker, if you want to jot this down, there's three things we can work on this week. The first one is this. We need to learn to trust God through generosity, not recognition. Um. And I think this could be applied in a lot of areas of our life, but when he talks about money, I just want to talk about money, because like throughout the Bible, how we deal with our money actually teaches us a lot about how we trust our God. It really does. And so one of the biggest principles the Jewish people had was something like the principle of the tithe. We've talked about it here a lot, that the tithe, it's a word that means tenth. So you set aside a tenth of your income, and you would dedicate it to the temple and to the priest. And it was very practical, had a couple of reasons. The first one was very practical. It would uh, help to pay for the livelihoods of the priests they could have food they could put clothes on their kids they, 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 they could pay for their livelihoods also it did the upkeep of the temple you know if you need 
some new paint, you need some new shingles, you need whatever, the synagogue or whatever the area was. We're going to take care of the things of the Lord with that money. But the more practical, and I think what God really wanted from this for his people, and I think he wants it for us, is that it builds trust. Because when you have plenty of money in the bank, you feel pretty comfortable, but when you're running short, you feel pretty antsy. And God says, here's what I want you to do. I want to intentionally make you feel antsy about your money. I want you to trust me with a portion of it that's large enough that you have to know that I am helping you. So how about this? I can let you be more prosperous with the 90% you have left by letting me guide you than how you could do if you took care of all 100%. Now, I can say, this is not a sermon on tithing or giving. It really isn't. But I'll tell you from my own personal experience, my wife and I have made this a principle in our life since we got married. We continue to do it. We try to, you know, you're not supposed to talk about your, your giving and boasting and all that, so I won't get into that, but our goal is to always be more generous than we were before. That's just always our goal. And um, never once have we felt like, oh, shoot, I wish I hadn't have done that. Never once. We might not eat out as often sometimes. We might not get the thing we want as often. But here's the thing. We, we most often do get to still do everything else, like pretty much, because our hearts have changed. And so there's some things that we're like, actually, I don't even want to do that anymore. I don't even need that anymore. It's just my testimony. Here's the thing. I know that a lot of you in this room have that testimony, because right now we're in this this like initiative called Above and Beyond. There's banners behind the coffee. Uh, back in the, you know, it was like October, November. Above and Beyond was our initiative to talk about a lot of things that had to go into move into our new building. And part of it was financial. And we said, hey, we want to challenge our church family to consider going above and beyond 10% and putting an extra chunk towards this building that we're working on because we as a family are doing something expensive and we want to share this low. And what's amazing is I keep hearing these stories from you guys like, man, I keep one. I, I wish we could show hands. We're not going to do this right now. Raise your hand in your heart if you already think you're going to be able to give more to above and beyond than you committed to. I've had several people tell me that. They're like, wow, we're not even a year in. It's like a two-year thing. And people are like, wow, already we're pacing differently because you prioritize different. It's amazing what God does in us when we start to put our heart towards generosity. So here's the big lesson. Let's go back to that thing. That we need to learn to trust God through generosity, not through recognition. This could also probably be pulled into like what we wear at church or how we carry ourselves or like make sure I got the right stickers on my car. Hey, I'm religious. I'm spiritual. No, you really want to be blessed by God. You really want to get his attention and approach him well. Well, there's right ways and there's wrong ways. The right way, according to this, is generosity. So I normally give us a challenge like at the end of the message every week. And like, here's the big challenge. I'm going to give us a couple throughout this time. So here's the first one. This might be the one you want. This is it. Very simple. Be hilariously generous this week to someone. That's one of our core values. Hilarious generosity. The idea is like, he's like, what? He did what? You know? Just do it. And, and hilarious generosity involves sacrifice. So like you had planned on doing something, but instead, just let someone else have it. That's my challenge. Just do it. Sacrifice. And just see what God does. Oh, and also just walk away. Don't tell nobody. Maybe you share finances with your spouse or somebody. Like, you can probably need to talk to them if you share finances. But otherwise, just do it and walk away. Don't come tell me about it. Don't say, Chris, I was so blessed because I did your challenge last week. No, I don't, I don't need to know. Is this you and Jesus? Be generous. Uh, learn to trust God. Their generosity, not recognition. That's his first little how-to that he gives us. He's going to give us another one. I'm going to pick up in verse 5. It's going to be about prayer. He says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. There they go again, those spiritual peacocks. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward 
in full. Same thing. You hear the same, 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 same idea, different, different uh, topic. But, this is his advice, when you pray, go into your room. Close the door. And pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This whole idea of approaching God, like, do we go to God for the blessing, for the reward? I mean, maybe sometimes. Maybe that's a motivator. I think it's just like in a relationship uh, with a spouse. It's like, well, I'm not here so that you make me happy. Like, I love you, so I want to make you happy. But then there is this, like, amazing fringe benefit of also it makes me happy. So what's done in secret will be rewarded. Shut your door. Go and be private about it. And then uh, keep on going there. Verse uh, 7, 8. When you pray... Do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. So, what's the principle here? What's the lesson? What's the how-to? How to approach God? Uh, this is what I came up with, that we need to pursue God through personal prayer. So, we learn to trust Him through generosity. We need to pursue Him through personal prayer. It's not about finding the perfect words. It's not about getting all the right, you know, order of what we say. It's just about talking to our perfect father. And the cool thing is he knows what we're going to say before we say it, and he knows that we're imperfect, and he knows that you're struggling to find the right words to say, but he wants to hear from you. Just take time to do it. I'm so glad that we have these next few verses to model a prayer for us um, because he says, I want to hear from you. And so this, this next section, you might have heard this before. It's called the Lord's Prayer. Some people call it the Our, the Our Father. In Matthew 6, 9 and through 15, we're going to get this Lord's Prayer. So if you know it, uh, maybe say it as a prayer as you hear it. If you're rusty on it or never heard it before, just hear it for the first time. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. So you've gone in your room, you've shut the door, okay? You're letting your Father hear you in secret. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Then he adds this little teaching at the end, which is important. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Big lesson in forgiveness there. I actually could have a whole message on forgiveness just from that sentence. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Remember, he's talking about hypocrites here, the spiritual peacocks. Treat other people the way that you hope God is treating you, that, high, that whole idea. Personal prayer. So this uh, Lord's Prayer, it's a great prayer to memorize. A lot of people memorize it. I think wrote memorized prayers is a very healthy spiritual discipline. It helps us just to make sure our brain is thinking along the right lines. So maybe that's a good place to start. Just memorize it. Memorize it and know it. I, I'll never forget that uh, on the wrestling team in high school, we said this prayer Every time before we went out onto the mat, and it was funny because there's a bunch of high school guys were like, Our Father, who art in heaven? I love you, that name. I keep him calling. It wasn't very spiritual at all, but we remembered it. But you don't have to just memorize this. This is actually kind of also a model. So, what I want to do is take a look at, I think it's uh, four or five things, that in this prayer, Jesus gives us almost like an outline of some things you can pray. So, again, if you're a note taker, this would be a great thing to write down. Uh, the first thing he says is, like, start by acknowledging God's greatness. Start by acknowledging God's greatness. So, he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What does that mean? It's like, Lord, you are set apart. Even your name is special and holy and above me and above all else. How will be your name? So when you start your prayer, here's a great advice. Start by acknowledging God's greatness. Uh, dear God, man, you're good. 
Maybe you struggle with that. Maybe you struggle with the goodness of God and you don't know maybe how to move forward. Maybe you could even just say that, God, you know, I guess you're out there. <laughs> Whatever it is, but we're acknowledging his presence and if, if it's in your heart to do it, acknowledge his greatness. The second thing he says is place his desires above your own. Place his desires above your own. So your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's really easy for me to go to God and first and say, dear God, listen, I got this problem. Can we talk about my problem? I got all those things that I want, my desires, my needs, my agenda, my motivation, my initiative. But Jesus has said, no, the model is this. Your way, your will, even if it's above and different than mine. So acknowledge his greatness. Ask for his will. And then the third thing there is ask him for things. Ask him for things. I love this. In the the prayer, it says, give us this day our, our daily bread. Like that daily bread could be anything. I think literally it means like sustenance, lunch, eggs and bacon, like food. But what are the things that you want? Later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to say, ask and you shall receive, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open to you. The father is good. He's going to give his children good gifts. Only a bad father would give his children bad gifts. So Jesus is like, God wants you to ask for things. You're not selfish by asking God for things. You also need to be prepared. He might not give you everything you ask for. He only wants to give us what's best for him and what's in his will. I mean, what's best for you and what's in his will. But ask him for things. God, you're great. You're awesome. You're mighty. Help me. Help me to put you first. Help me to put your kingdom first. And Lord, I would really like a pony. (laughs) Whatever it is that you want. Like, talk to God. Or go to him on behalf of other people. Supplication. Lord, be with this person. They have a sickness. Be with this situation. They've lost their home. Be with these people as they travel. This is prayer. This is talking to God. He knows what we ask before we ask it, but he wants to hear from us. Here's the fourth thing. Talk to God about your sin. He said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The whole idea is like, you know what our biggest barrier between us and God is? Our sin. I'm talking about the things that we do secretly in our hearts and in our minds that pull us away from God. I'm talking about things that we do overtly on purpose that pull us away from God. I'm talking about evil, unrighteous things that we dwell on, that we watch on TV, that we listen to through our ears. The conversations that we have. This is sin. And we kind of poo-poo it in modern culture. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. Don't be a prude. Don't be so self-righteous. No, God is holy. He's righteous. He's set apart. He's otherly. We need to constantly be seeking righteousness, and so we need to talk to him about that. I love when I can talk to my two kids about the times when they've messed up. They will, they've learned, hopefully, this is what I've tried to model as a parent, that like, I want our home and our family to be the safest place for them to fail. I want them to be able to mess up in our home. I don't want them to mess up. I don't want them to fail. But I want to be a place where when they do, they can come and talk to me and their mom about it. And my kids, I hope, will both tell you, yes, there's discipline. Yes, there's a lecture. Yes, there's things going on. But they need to also be able to say, look, Dad, this is where I messed up and this is where I struggled. This is the problem I had. This is why I did that. And maybe I, with a little bit more experience, can say, you know what I found? Don't do that. (laughs) We go to God, our creator, our father who loves us, saying, God, I got this sin I'm struggling with. It's, it's an addiction. It's secret. I hide it. Or it's overt and it's public and I'm embarrassed. My reputation is a wreck, whatever it is. The book of John teaches us that when we bring it into the light, light shines in darkness and darkness does not understand it. We bring it before our Father and it's like when you bring mold out into the sunshine. Like, yeah, we all see it there. It's nasty and it's ugly, but now it can die. 
And he says, I already know what you're doing, but bring it into the light and let me help you with that. So talk to him about our sins. So I said, uh, acknowledge God's greatness. Place uh, our desires, uh, his desires above our own. Ask him for things. Talk about your sin. And with that sin, do I have a slide? I don't think I, I, don't think I have it in there. I should have. Forgive people. <laughs> you need to talk to God about the people that you're angry at. You need to talk to God about, when we hold on to things and don't forgive, forgiveness is for our soul. It's not for them. They don't like get better because we forgave them. No, it lets us let go. And this notion that we should forgive others was like mind-blowing, monumental for Jesus' listeners. This was a prayer that people already knew, this, this Lord's Prayer. People already knew this prayer. Jesus didn't make this prayer up. This is something I've only learned a couple years ago. Jesus didn't make this prayer up, but what he did was he took a prayer that everyone knew, and then he added this last phrase, forgive others as you have forgiven us. That's why he does that little teaching at the end. By the way, if you forgive others, Jesus, God will forgive you. If you don't forgive others, God is not going to forgive you. It seems like a hard line to walk, but Jesus is teaching something radical. Grace. It's going to become the hallmark of his whole movement. It's who we want to be as a church. We've got to be able to go to other people and say, I forgive you, but it's hard. So talk to God about it. Talk to God about it. Personal prayer. This is who I'm struggling with. Help me find strength to deal with him. Okay, so he talks about prayer. So as we're approaching God, don't be a bunch of spiritual peacocks. Learn to trust God through generosity and pursue God in personal prayer. Here's the last one. Find fullness through fasting. I wanted to give it to you up front so you could chew on it while we read. Fasting, okay? Fasting. This is what Jesus says, verse 16. When you fast, I love that. When you fast, like we're kind of like, if I fast. He's like, no, no, when you fast, like you should fast. Not like if you pray, if you're generous, if you fast. No, he just lifts it in there. Like this is something we should all be doing. Okay, so Every time I read this, it's a little bit of a reminder. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites. There they go again. For they disfigure their faces to show others that they're fasting. I tell you, they have received their reward in full. The same formula he talked about before. Oh, I'm so hungry. Well, because I'm fasting for the Lord, by the way. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I can't eat that. I'm fasting. Fast. It's hard. It's real hard. Yeah, fasting. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, and I've been with people who've done that. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm fasting today. I'm like, well, that's good. I really am glad to hear that. But it's the same idea. This is between you and God. This is a spiritual process. Verse 17, but when you fast, again, put oil on your head. We probably wouldn't do that. We would wash the oil out of our hair, but that was the way they would kind of, or, you know, uh, adorn themselves. Uh, wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting. Go to lunch with your friends. I'll just have water. You know, you're, you're hanging out. But only to your father who's unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Again, the same formula there as well. Fasting. I mean, fasting is basically giving up food for a purpose. You can fast for medical reasons. You can fast for mental reasons, physical reasons, a lot. But this is for spiritual reasons. That's what Jesus is talking about. You can also fast from other things. You can fast from social media. You can fast. I, I, I looked up, like, what are things I can fast from? One that I thought was great was people fast from complaining. What? That's a great idea. Jesus, though, is talking about food here. Let's make no mistake. So you should fast from complaining just like I'm going to try to. But he's talking about a food fast for spiritual reasons. Like money that makes us feel secure. What else makes us feel secure? You're feeling it right now. Ooh, I'm hungry. I am hungry. Sometimes in my family, if one of us hasn't eaten, like somebody needs a Snickers. Because it is bad and people, you get hangry. We made up a whole word about it. You're completely excused for being a jerk because you haven't had a Sammy today. Like, but that's how we get because we find so much security in having our bellies full. And then on like a survival level, level yeah. Like we think about food insecurity and food deserts that we experience here in Wilmington. People living in poverty who can't get to good food. 
It affects how the kids, you know, are at school and how they behave and how they perform academically. It affects how marriages work, how they get into work. All these things are part of it. Jesus one time is going through a 40-day fast because he's a stud. And in 40 days, Jesus is out there and the, um, and the devil comes out to him. This is in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. The devil starts to tempt Jesus with what? Bread. Aren't you the creator? Turn these stones into bread. Do you remember what Jesus says? I'm going to read it to you. It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. There is more to life than having our bodies happy and every appetite satisfied. There's a spiritual element to us that can only be filled by God's presence in our life. Why does fasting help? Well, every time you get hungry and you get that little grumble and you go, I'm going to reach for the Snickers, you say, wait, no. I'm, I'm teaching myself to rely on God's presence. Eventually, you can eat. God created our bodies to eat, but it's a discipline to remind ourselves. In the Bible, we see people fasting at strategic times, before big you know, decisions have to be made, right after a major event, maybe right before a major event. Fasting during particularly hard times in your life is a, is a good time to fast because if I'm going through this thing, I need to make a decision. What, what you're doing is you're finding I'm relying more on God, I'm praying more, I might be having more spiritual conversations because as I feel the hunger pains, you've got to train your brain to just do this, to think about the Lord and what he wants for us. If the Bible teaches us anything about fasting, it might be that fasting is the best way to show God that you're serious about something. Like, generosity teaches us to trust God, but if you look at the, the biggest spiritual studs throughout Scripture, men and women both, and you see what they do to fully devote themselves to the Lord in a moment in time, fasting is where they do it. Or abstaining from something. Other than just food. I mean, it's, it's a very big part of showing our devotion to God and really learning to build trust for Him. So Jesus says, listen, when you fast, don't make it about you and don't make it about other people. Make it about me. Make it about how we can focus on each other. So here's another challenge. I said I'd give a, a couple challenges this week. Maybe you don't know what to do generously this week. Maybe you don't know how to pray. You're not good at it. You know what you can all do? <laughs> Skip a meal. It doesn't take like a PhD or any academic knowledge of the Bible to simply make the decision to skip a meal and use that time to focus on God somehow. Go sit at the beach, go sit in your special spot in your yard, sit in your car with the windows down or the air conditioner on. And in that moment, search the hunger and maybe ask the question, Lord, here's why I'm fasting. Uh, show me how to be generous to someone this week. This is what's crazy is going to happen. God's Holy Spirit is alive and well. And you will be prompted, I believe, on something to do. Maybe you get nothing. Maybe, you, I don't know, that didn't work. It takes time. It, it's taken me 25 years to learn that there are right ways and wrong ways to approach God So with, with my wife. So like, you know, like, it takes time to develop that ear to feel and hear what God is saying to us and prompting us to do. But fasting is kind of a neat place because you can actually do all three of these how-tos at the same time. Many people partner fasting and prayer together. A habit that I had for a long time was I would pick a day of the week and I would fast just through lunch on that day of the week. It's not a whole day fast. It's not a 24-hour fast. But I would, instead of going to sit and eat food somewhere, I'm really bad actually about skipping meals. Like I would just skip lunch. And so like you, that doesn't count. Like to me, I'm like, I'm not, oh, I fasted. No, it's like, no, no, no. Instead of like going to have lunch with somebody or packing a sandwich, I'm going to go sit for this period of time and I'm just going to pray. 
So you can pray and fast at the same time. And maybe that can lead you to generosity. Maybe that you can all be done together. It's a really cool thing. So those are the three things that God has for us in this, this little teaching. He says, listen, I want you to uh, learn to trust me through generosity, not recognition. I want you to pursue me in personal prayer and find fullness in fasting. Listen to the irony in that. While your stomach is empty, your soul will begin to be filled. Um, the last thing I want to say about fasting and all of this is that you don't have to do it alone. In fact, you shouldn't. I mean, yeah, you shouldn't like blow the trumpets and stand on the street corner, but you don't have to do it alone. We as a church uh, fasted together and had a, a, a day of prayer and fasting. In October, we were doing the above and beyond thing, and we were like, as a church family, let's fast together. And a result of that actually ended up being generosity. That was a pretty cool trifecta of all three of them that I didn't realize until I was working on this lesson today. But the whole idea is like, listen, you don't have to do this together, so get with a friend. When I would skip a meal once a week, I had a friend from college that we decided to do it. It was Wednesday. We were like, hey, we're just going to do this. We did it for a couple months. So you can do it by yourself. You can do it with other people because accountability helps. It helps. And then if you call each other during that time, say, hey, can we pray together during this time? Or can we just check in at the end of the day? How did it go for you? Did you oh, I forgot. Well, I didn't forget, punk. Like, <laughs> accountability is huge. We aren't meant to do this alone. We can do it in community. As we grow up and we learn the right ways and the wrong ways to approach people, let's use this growing up time to learn how to approach God. And I'm thankful that Jesus gives us some ways to do that. So what I want to do today as I close is just share a handful of scripture that I hope will inspire us to approach God. And this is why. These scriptures are going to show us that he has already approached us. There's nothing that God asks us to do that he hasn't done first. So we're just going to read through these, let them hit where they will, write down the references if you want to. Ezekiel 34 verse 11, this is from the prophet Ezekiel. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and I will look after them. He has pursued us. He has approached us. He has looked for our attention. He's the good shepherd. So we want to approach him. Psalm 23, 6. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God went first. He's chasing your heart. He's pursuing your mind. He's coming after you to invite you into his house. This is in the New Testament, 1 John 4, 19. I love this. We love because he first loved us. He's not asking us to do anything that he hasn't done first. Romans 5, 8, this is the ultimate example of that love. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He wants your attention. He wants you to approach him. And there's a word for that. It's called worship. These aren't the only three ways to approach God. There's so many different ways that we can approach our God. But Jesus gives us this little workshop. Say, listen, if you want to worship me more, start by looking at your stuff. And ask yourself, am I putting this above you, Lord? Start by going to your prayer life and say, am I talking to God? Start by looking at your belly. <laughs> say, can I just trust you with a few hours of no food so that I can focus on prayer and dedication to you? You learn to trust God through generosity, not recognition. Pursue him in personal prayer. Find fullness in fasting. Give it a try this week. Make it a habit. And learn to be salt and light in this world. Uh, let's pray together this morning.